The reading comes from Matthew 11, verses 2 to 12. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I'll send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among these born of women, there has no, not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, strolling in a sun-tanned paddock, the undisturbed old world of Dungog turned into a crowded and youthful festival within a few hours. The year was 2012 and Mumford and Sons, one of the biggest bands of the time, invited all Novocastrians and all within those regions to savour a folk out-of-town experience. There in the dusty paddock, surrounded by thousands of young ladies and gentlemen, the euphoric and punchy sounds of Mumford and Sons hollered and hooted throughout Dungog. The dynamic folk fest hooks, the shiny fist pump melodies, and the dramatic musical builds up and down ignited the crowds with passion, energy, excitement. It was lively. Meters away from the stage, I was at the front and I gripped the steel fence and I felt all these kinds of substances land on my hair and back, who knows what they were, as I belted out the ballad, I will wait. I will wait for you. A few months later, after the folk festival, I attended a young adult's Bible study with my wife-to-be, Jessica, in Campbelltown, the minister was by the name of Nigel Fortescue, and he was the minister of that church at the time, and he opened the Bible study with this question. Quotes, which celebrity would you like to be for a day? Unquote. I said, with excitement, Marcus Mumford, the front man of Mumford and Sons. Like most young people at Dungog that late October, I wished I was on stage, singing his husky tunes. 19-year-old Jesse dreamed of being a folk rock star. There you go. Who would have knew? Instead, I find myself here. The humble, 
lowly pastorate of scone, from what feels like at times off the beaten track. My wife would say, in the middle of nowhere, rather than plucking my guitar on stage before thousands of indie kids at Newtown, that could have been my story because I was going to the con. I spend my days behind the scenes. I weep in homes with the elderly. I plunged into scriptures, and I do plunge into scriptures with those who want to be apprentices of Jesus. I philosophize with year nine students, looking at all these ethical dilemmas. I push paper to keep children safe from potential freaks and craft spiritually rich church experiences. Well, that's the goal. Life like mine may not be what you expected, but what is expectation? What is expectation? Expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case. That's according to the Oxford Dictionary. We experience expectation when we anticipate a certain outcome and picture how life will unfold. Although expectations shape our future and our behavior, it can also lead to deep inner pain. One psychologist says when expectations are not met, it can lead to feelings of disappointment, frustration, and even anger. You rage against the machine, which is this world. People can become so tied to their expectations in certain situations that they cannot enjoy the present or even comprehend what is reality itself. Enter now into the story of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, which we looked at last week, John the Baptist prepared the way for the arrival of the Messiah. He baptized people and warned them about the coming wrath of God. John imagined that the Messiah would be a man of fire and an Elijah-like figure who would sweep across the lands of Israel and demolish all the pagan gods with his fury and power and might. John expected that his cousin, Jesus the Messiah, would primarily establish his kingdom of both justice and righteousness by pouring wrath, anger upon Israel. But the Messiah that John expected had a different script. Jesus is not what John expected. Bewildered by Jesus, the now imprisoned John with his life coming to an end because Herod would chop his head off, has sent words to the disciples. The disciple asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John, I believe, is in a frenzy, a state of doubt. He wondered, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he really the Messiah? John knows that his days are numbered and he doesn't want his ministry of preparing the way for the Lord to be in vain. I imagine John is in a state of mental and spiritual restlessness. Is this the Messiah? Find out, disciples. Go and see. Is he really the one who I came to prepare a way for? And we get it. 
we too can experience this inner tension and restlessness that comes from unfulfilled expectations. Take these questions, for example. Have you ever ordered a medium-rare steak and it comes out as well done? Hands up. I have. It frustrates me. I'm like, I'm not going to that restaurant again. Often it happens with pork crackling, to be honest, but it can be disappointing. Ever asked your team, and I know there's some parents here, to do the dishes before you return home, and when you get home, what do you see? Dirty dishes on the sink. Disappointment. Ever gone to drive somewhere, and it takes twice as long as you expected? Me and Jessica went Christmas shopping the other day. We were coming home from East Maitland. And she was like, Jesse, you need to turn right. I'm like, no, it's left. I added 30 minutes to the trip. <laughs> because I was too arrogant to turn around. I heard that for the rest of the day. <laughs> Ever done tons of exercise and get on the scale and discover that the weight has not budged? Inattention. And restlessness thrive in the presence of unfulfilled expectations. Likewise, the unfulfilled expectations of John led him to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. Think of this this way. John ordered a flaming hot, well-done Messiah who would set the first century ablaze with God's wrath. But instead, Jesus came as a medium rest stake and drunk God's wrath upon himself. That is to say, the message of Jesus, the Messiah, was not primarily about judgment in this stage of his vocation, but about radical mercy. Jesus was all about radical mercy and we see this truth in Jesus' response to John's doubt in Matthew verses 3, sorry, 10, 11, sorry. Verses 10, 11, 3 to 6. Ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus did not plainly say, I am the Messiah. He pointed to the true script of the Messiah, which is taken from Isaiah 35. According to the word of Isaiah, the king of Israel would come and strengthen feeble hands. He would open the eyes of the blind. He would enable the lame to leap like a deer, Isaiah 35, 6. And he would rescue all who choose to walk on his kingdom highway of holiness. Jesus had one main task at this stage in his vocation, and that was to launch his kingdom through mercy. Through his radical love, the kingdom of heaven was breaking into the darkness of Palestine. Those who rejected him, yes, were outside of God's salvific plan, but those who received him were blessed with newfound hope. Through all his work, the kingdom of God was breaking in through his radical compassion, love, mercy. And Jesus assured John that his ministry was not done in vain and that according to Isaiah, his life of mercy proved that he was indeed the Messiah who was establishing his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. Mercy, in other words, proved 
the authenticity of Jesus. What then is the lesson for us? Well, we could look at unfulfilled expectations, but I would like to look at the true mission of Jesus with you. He came to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and he did it through mercy. But, depending on what background you come from, you might object to the realness, the concreteness, the actual visibility of God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. Some of us may be more Gnostic, spiritualistic, disembodied in our gospel, convincing ourselves that God has no interest in the earth until the end of time. We might be attracted more to the American gospel of private spirituality that reduces the mission of Jesus down to the simple tenet of believe and repent and that's all you need to know. You might love the saying of Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world and justify your lack of care for the here and now. But be careful. Jesus there was not making a distinction between earth and heaven in this statement. He was making a distinction, and we heard this actually at chapel on Friday, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Unlike the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God does not come from this world. But with that said, the kingdom of God is for this world. The truth is that the mercy of Jesus disarms and overcomes the dark gloom that covers the earth now. It's breaking in. The ministry of Jesus disarms and defeats the kingdom of this world which Satan rules. The great light of Advent desires his glory to cover from one end of the earth to the other. The day will then come when Jesus declares, and he says this in Revelation eleven fifteen, the kingdom of the earth has become, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The vision of Jesus is to see the fullness of heaven progressively break in, invade earth. And when we get to the end of the world, Jesus comes. And I would say that most of the earth has been evangelized and most of the darkness has been spread away. That's what I see in scripture. In K. Smith, a New Testament scholar from Christ College, Sydney, makes this point. God is concerned for the renewal of this earth. Christian ministry is not just about telling people how to get into heaven when they die. Essential though that is, it is also concerned for what happens in this world. If we acknowledge that the Christian's hope is the renewal of all things, it gives meaning to life. If our lives are transformed by the power of the gospel, our workplaces, families, marriages, friendships, and world will be impacted God is concerned for this physical world now. N.T. Wright, who is the leading New Testament scholar, also says this, What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, all these things will last into God's future. They are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may be calling, what we call, sorry, building God's kingdom. This is the gospel of the kingdom. 
This is not a gospel that is greatly reduced. While the kingdom of God is not from this world, the reign of Jesus is for the transformation of the world as the darkness spreads as the gospel goes forth. While some will say that the disembodied, cloudy experience of heaven is their home, I would say, my home is not heaven, I'm just passing through. Because earth, redeemed, rescued, is my home. The earth rescued from Satan's dominion is my eternal dwelling place where I will live forever. And we call this, in the end of the Bible, the new creation where heaven and earth are finally united in all its glory and fullness. And so what then is our call? I would say this, that our duty is to continue the ministry of Jesus that is found in Isaiah 35. We bear witness to the kingdom reign of Jesus by unleashing his kingdom mercy in our lives until Isaiah 35, 1-2 becomes a kingdom reality on earth. And what a wonderful picture this is of the new world to come. Isaiah 35 verses 1 to 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. And so my point in saying this is the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven, as we practice the mercy of Jesus. Ian K. Smith, who was from Christ College and I quoted before, says, A good question for every church to ask is, if our church were to close down, would anyone in our neighborhood notice the difference? Ouch. If we just left right now and shut down and closed our doors, would anyone in Scone notice? In other words, are we people of mercy? Do we strengthen feeble arms? Do we say to the troubled, be strong? Do we pray that the blind and the lame will be healed? Do we welcome the unclean to journey with us on the highway of holiness? Are we overtaken by gladness and joy in Jesus Christ? Are we people of the kingdom? Are we building God's kingdom? Here's an idea for action. If you're being convicted by the call of Jesus upon our lives to be people of mercy today, to unleash mercy I'd like to invite you to start with this question. It's simple. Who is your neighbour? We cannot build the kingdom if we do not know our neighbours. Our vocation is to love God and our neighbours as ourselves. This requires us to get to know people, to listen to people, to not only form our theology in the church or behind our desk, but on the streets. We need to reflect the mercy of God beyond the walls of the church, become the best neighbours we can be. The dream of Jesus is that we become a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The kingdom of light 
in a world of darkness. And so, if we closed our doors today, would people notice? Let's dream together about being people of mercy. Amen.